Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, this is Kat Lee, and today we're talking with Karen Eamon about her new book, Listen, Love, Repeat, Other-Centered Living in a Self-Centered World. And really, this show is all about being inspired to action because Karen shares some tear-jerkingly inspiring stories about how a small, thoughtful gesture has had a huge impact on someone else and how other people have done the same thing for her. Y'all, these stories are golden and are going to inspire you to write down birthdays, to remember things that your friends mention in conversations so that we can do these really impactful but small things just by noticing others, just by listening well. So stay tuned for that in today's podcast. Before we jump in, though, I want to say a huge thank you to our show sponsor, Plan to Eat, which, by the way, could be a great tool for being a blessing to someone else. If you want to make an extra meal for someone, if you want to cook a special dinner for a friend, a great way to do that is by having a meal plan and just by doubling up a recipe one day or scheduling it for a week in the future, remembering, oh, they have a birthday coming up. Let me make them a special meal so that they don't have to cook that night great way to do that. Plan to Eat is an online menu planning service, and it allows you to plan your recipes, to plan your shopping list, and it just puts all that together for you, makes it super simple. You can check them out for free at plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action, and you get a free 30-day trial. So go and check that out. Now let's jump into our chat today with Karen Eamon. Hey, Karen, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you, Kat? I am doing very well. Can we can we talk a little bit about what the nickname of this whole podcast should be? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were talking earlier. We should call it the Kit Kat Show. Okay, uh, now tell us why. Yeah, when I was in college, there were like four or five Karens on my floor as a freshman. And so a bunch of us went by nicknames and I chose the nickname Kit. I always liked that name. I think I read it in a book. Some of them went by... Um, you know, their first and middle initial. And I just, I chose Kit. And so I thought it was so funny when I remember that we were going to be together today, that whenever we we talk together, we should call it the Kit Kat show. So if you're listening right now and you have any secret candy stash from the last holiday from your kids, go grab a Kit Kat. And I don't know about you. I, this is, this might be a little weird. I eat Kit Kats by eating the chocolate off first. Really? Is that weird? I, that's weird. That is, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. You're pretty talented. That, that takes skill. <laughs> Maybe it makes me savor it could be. that much longer. Could I don't know. Be. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about Karen's new book. It's called Listen, Love, Repeat, Others Centered Living in a Self-Centered World. And I love it. It's so good. You know, my I have um, kids who are nine um, 12 and 14, man, I really have to think about that at times because they keep changing ages and I can't keep up. Um, but 
as I'm trying to introduce my older girls to technology and social media and that sort of thing, it is such a challenge to try to help them remain others centered, especially when they see how their friends use social media. Um, and then, you know, that's just permeating everything at my kids' schools. Um, all except my youngest, they give iPads out to all the students. Wow. So it is very, very technologically driven and kids always have a device with them. Um, and so there is this sort of narcissistic tendency, I think, in our generation, in me, you know, just that's sort of the nature of where technology has taken us. And so I love the timing um, of your book and I love the heart of it. And, and just going back to being thoughtful about others. So I, I would love it if you would... Tell us a little bit about where this book came from. Well, I originally saw my mom live out the message of this book. My mom and I could not be less alike. She's very quiet and sweet and almost kind of shy, and I'm pretty loud and rambunctious. But I adopted the practice that I saw her display in life, and that was of trying to put others before yourself. Now, she didn't do it in a big show off kind of way. She just was one of those people that everyone said, oh, she's the nicest woman ever. And you could never get her to talk about herself. But when you left a conversation with her, you felt so good about yourself because she just wanted to know about you. And and she was very, um, just she was a noticer. Like she would just notice when someone needed a little perk up, she would do something, something kind of creative or something funny. I remember she and a friend, I, I don't remember the exact uh, origination of this, but they, they gave a, a rotten banana back and forth to each other for their birthday for years <laughs> and they kept it in the freezer and they had this like private joke about it. But no, wait, it was the same banana. It was the same banana <laughs> or some kind of joke. I still don't even remember what it was, but every time that woman's birthday came around, she would somehow give it back to her. I don't know. But she also would be the kind that, you know, would take note of when the anniversary of someone's death was coming around and she would do something for him. And she just was one of these people that, always put others first. And even though, you know, we didn't have the the most wonderful life. My mom was a single mom and we lived on a budget so tight it, it squeaked. She worked really hard to put food on the table. She never got down on herself. And I would say, mom, you know, how come you just, you seem to be so positive all the time. And she said, and I can hardly say it without crying. She said, Karen, no matter how bad you think your life is, there's always someone who's worse off than you, go find that person and make their day. And somehow it makes yours. You you lift yourself up by helping someone else who's struggling even more than you. And I, I just saw how many lives she touched doing that. And so I've just kind of, it's just kind of how I roll. I just learned it from her. And I, I wanted to pass it on to my kids too, that, you know, by, by being other centered in a strange way, it's like the boomerang of blessing. I call it in the book. It comes back to us that even though our society is so narcissistic and we put ourselves first and we take pictures of ourselves and our food and all that's fine and well. And I do that sometimes too, but you'd think we'd be happier than ever because we're so me, 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 what's in it for me, but we're not. Our generation is so discontent and restless. You know, our culture, I shouldn't say our generation, our culture, all generations, I feel like have this restlessness. And I think it's because we've forgotten the joy that comes from putting other people first. That's so good. You know, it just even as you share about that, it, it makes me think, you know, it, when I have opened social media with the intent of really wanting to cheer people on, seeing other people do fun things encourages me. When I open social media thinking about myself and I see other people doing fun things, it makes me feel left out. It makes me feel discouraged. And so having that other centered thinking 
really can change the way social media impacts us. Um, but before we move on to kind of the technology aspect of it, I would love to know, you know, you said you grew up with this example. Has it always been easy for you to think like this because you grew up with the example or has it ever been a challenge for you? I think it's easy for me to think I should be doing it. And in many ways, it's easy for me to do it, do it because it's kind of just how I roll. However, it does become a struggle in those times where I maybe just plain feel like I want to do something for myself mm-hmm. for once in a while. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong to do something for yourself once in a while. Or I tend to, eh, I tend to get so busy. Sometimes I can't breathe. And so my schedule gets so packed with all the have tos of life that I don't get around to the want tos. And I want to be someone who reaches out to others and who notices that person who least expects to be seen. But sometimes my schedule, my too crammed full schedule makes me not have time for others. So it, it is a, it is a struggle. I think even though some people might naturally do this and others have to learn how to practically do it, I think for all of us, it's a challenge, whether it's selfishness or whether it's, we feel like we don't have any good ideas and not that it has to be a great idea, just sending a text message to someone on a day and you kind of feel like the Lord tapped you on the heart and said, Hey, text this person and tell them you love them. That's a simple thing, but I I don't think, you know, we have to have complicated ideas, but sometimes that stops us. I think for all of us, there's some like barrier to doing it because either we don't have the time, the ideas, or or maybe we just don't want to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of times when we do get the idea, it becomes a complicated idea, and then we just don't get around to doing it because mm-hmm. we want to do it a certain mm-hmm. way. Because because I would say I grew up sort of the opposite from you in the sense of while I grew up in a single parent home, um, it was just my dad and my brother. And, you know, they're awesome. My dad is super generous. And I think I I got a lot of my generosity from him. But at the same time, you know, they're not exactly looking for what you call in your book heart drops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's just not the way that that they're, they're geared in particular. And so I didn't necessarily grow up with that example. So it's not something that I always think about. So I would love to know what are some kind of routines, things that help you remember to look for those things? Well, the concept of a heart drop that you just mentioned is something that my husband and I learned from our small group leader at the time. His name was Michael. He's a little bit older gentleman. Of course, if he's listening to this, he'll crack up and think, I'm not that old. But he's a little older than us, a little, little further down the road. And he just is a real listener. I'm a yacker and he's a real listener. And I learned the skill of listening from him being in his small group for, I think, a year and a half. He calls heart drops kind of learning to hear when people are, they're kind they're maybe not saying the words, but somehow from their conversation, you're listening between the lines and you pick up something. You pick up that maybe they're sad or maybe they're discouraged or, or maybe they do use their words and they say something, but they kind of start short of finishing it. And, and you just get this sense when you walk away from them that, that they could use a little perk up, that they could, that maybe you even want to say to them, you know, could you said, mention this? Let's go back to what you said a couple minutes ago. You know, I kind of sense some sadness in your voice. You know, what was that? So you might enter into a conversation with them when you hear a heart drop. Or what I talk about in the book is I go home and I log those little things in. You know, maybe I'm speaking to someone and they're talking about how much they miss their their father who's passed away. And then I think, hmm, they're really missing them. And this is this is in... February, Father's Day is coming up. I'll go and write in my planner, you know, to make sure I call that person on Father's Day to see how they're doing. Just little bitty, 
just little bitty things that you hear that give you a little peek into their soul that something else is going on or that there's an emotion that they have. And it could even be a joyous thing, but just learning to, to not, for me, I'm talking to myself, right. not always be thinking of the next thing I'm going to say when someone's talking mm-hmm. or mentally making my grocery list, but really pause and listen, like focus in and listen and be praying the whole time. Lord, is there something more here? Not, not every conversation is going to have a heart drop, but every once in a while there are. And when I make it a point to somehow remember them, either put it in the notes app on my phone or write it down when I get home and then do something for them. It just, it just, I don't know. It, it, I've had so many stories, like the book could have just been stories <laughs> because I have so many people who were so touched just that I remembered. And it's such a simple thing. And I'm not a, a wonderful person. I'm just an average person. But you're right. We're so busy in our society, mm-hmm. rushing to the next thing, to the next thing, that when somebody gets a handwritten note in the mail about something they picked up on a conversation and they just want to let them know they're praying, it's like, I frame those. I rarely get them anymore. <laughs> I don't really frame them, but I have a bulletin board of them because it's so rare. We spend so much time in our society just rushing to the next thing. We don't ever pause, slow down, and just really notice somebody. And it, you know, it becomes then that much more about doing one deeply impactful thing as opposed to a hundred likes on Instagram or whatever it might be. I actually am looking right here at my desk at a beautifully handwritten note from a woman in China who heard Mm -hmm. me do an interview with Sally Clarkson and Sally was talking about a pashmina. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know what it is. Yeah. And so, and I didn't. And so I was asking Sally what that was. And so this lady from China heard that podcast and she mailed one to me from China. (gasps) That was a heart drop. That is awesome. And I have this note sitting, like there are not many papers at my desk and I have that one there because I thought that was so thoughtful. So Julie, if you're listening, thank you. And that is very much, you know, that one thing, you know, I don't know how long it took her, but probably in all things, probably not more than an hour of her time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is this thing that not, impacts not just me, but my daughters who fight over using it as well. <laughs> and, you know, just taking that time. So I would love to be really, really crazy practical here. When you hear those things, what are some, you mentioned a few things, but do you have a system for keeping tra- track of the things that you notice? Do you write it in your contacts? How do you keep track of the, the different things that you notice? Well, people need to just do what works for them, but I'm going to say what works for me and maybe a couple other ideas. You know, I used to be an old fashioned paper girl. I still kind of am. I have a paper planner, but I would sometimes just go and write it in my planner. So, so for example, whenever I go to a funeral, I always look at the birth date of the person who passed away. If they left a spouse, I look at what their wedding anniversary was because that's listed usually when they tell their little description of the, the biography of their life. And I go write it down in my planner and um, then when that anniversary comes around, well, one time I sent my my little boys to Grandma Alma's house. She was a Sunday school teacher at our church. And they said Grandpa Don was in heaven and he couldn't give her flowers that day. So they brought him to her instead. And she just, bought, like, she was like, how did you know? And I'm like, it was in the thing at the funeral, you know? Okay, well, I'm <laughs> bawling right now. That's well, And, and I, I did the same thing. Um, my friend Debbie was super close to her father. And on his birthday, they always went for a two-mile walk and they had a, a birthday cake. And I knew it was going to be so hard. He, he was quite old when he died, even though he could still walk two miles. And uh, I knew that day was going to be hard. I wrote it down. I showed up in, I believe it was April. 
with a cake at her front door on his, what would have been his birthday and said, want to go for a walk? And she just bawled. And, but you know, it's just simple. It's just listening and noticing. So, so I do that at funerals. Um, I, if I hear somebody, even if it's something silly cat, like, you know, if you and I were out to coffee and you mentioned to me, or, or I uh, saw you give a, maybe you're not like me, but a high maintenance coffee drink, which is how I, how I go at the, the coffee house. You know, I sometimes, if I'm with a friend over and over again, she always gets the same thing. I'll take a note of it. And sometimes when I know she might be having a, a hard day, like I did it once when one of my friends, uh, only son who can go to college, she has one with special needs and, and a twin brother who went off to college. I thought, you know what, it's gonna be a hard day for her. So I showed up at her door with her favorite coffee drink. It didn't take that long just to, to, to record that thing, you know, their favorite colors, their favorite snacks, all that. So you can easily put it in a paper planner. Kind of how I do it now is I use uh, reminders on my phone or even alarms. Like if it's something I know, let's say you and I were talking and uh, your husband had a really big interview next Thursday at one, I would set a reminder on my phone for Thursday morning to remember to pray and to text you and say, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be praying. Then I would set another alarm for one o'clock so I could be actually praying during the interview. I can also, or we can also use our reminders if it's something far away. Um, if you have a smartphone, you know, you can just set a reminder. I have an iPhone, an older one, and I just say, you know, hey, Siri, set a reminder for October 22nd that says whatever, and then it comes up. I usually set it for the day before, maybe two days before, to remind myself. Um, it's It really... It's simple, but it's, I think it's something people just don't think of because we're just not used to thinking and planning ahead like that. But now that I've been doing it for so long, to me, it comes pretty natural, but I think people can practically learn to do what I do naturally just by using either paper or their phone. I'm trying to think of other ways. Um, I've sent text messages to myself and emails to myself before when I'm somewhere, just because I know if I just try to remember something, I won't. But if I text, you can text yourself. And so I just don't open the text message until mm-hmm. later. And then I go, why did I text myself? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. So I'm going to ask a very uh, embarrassing question. So let's say you remember that it's somebody's anniversary and it's six months later, maybe after you attended the funeral, or maybe let's not, let's not use an example that that's that that's that's dramatic because then you might be more likely to do it. But the the idea is that sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I really want to remember this thing, somebody's birthday, somebody's some special thing, and then it gets to that point and I see the reminder and I'm like, okay, I want to do that. Oh, but I don't have a card and then I need to do this and then I need to do that. And there's all these things that have to be done around that. Do you have like a stockpile of stuff or how do you actually make it happen? I can have the good intention, but the actually doing it can sometimes get stuck. Well, two things. First of all, I do have a stockpile. My kids call it mom's general store. I go down to my general store to find something. My mother-in-law actually used to buy things ahead. We, we teased her that she had a general store. Now I've copied her and I have a general store. But I'll buy little tiny things that are on really great clearance because I'm not going to dump a bunch of money into to, um, this. I want, I'm always kind of looking for a bargain. So if I see, I don't know, lotions or candles or things that you know, typically I think my friends might like as a little perk me up. I see them on clearance. I buy them and I put them down there having no idea who I'm going to give them to. Um, also, I do the same thing with note cards. When I find a really great deal on note cards, I've even found them before at like Goodwill, brand new packs of them or garage sales or whatever. 
I have, uh, boy, if we were on video, I'd show you my, de- I have an old antique roll top desk and all the little cubbies are just shoved full of note cards. Mm-hmm. But I will also say what you were describing, if it gets to that point and you know, you don't have something around, you don't have the time, something has come up in your life, which this just happened to me the first month of August. Um, and you go past the, that good intention of remembering that anniversary of something that old saying that it's the thought that counts. Well, you know, it does count, especially if you let the person know you were thinking. And so what I mean by that is the first week of August, it was the anniversary of uh, one of my coworkers and friends. She's younger. She's in her twenties. It was the anniversary of her mother's death. And I had it in my phone. I knew it was coming up. Her mom's been gone about two, three years now. And I wanted to make sure that I'd send her a little card. The first year, my daughter and I went in together and did something a little bigger. We sent her a little nicer thing in the mail and told her we were thinking of her. But that day came and it went and I felt terrible. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to text her. It was like the next week. And I said, Hey, so-and-so just want to let you know, I know your mom's, um, the anniversary of your mom's death was last week and I was thinking of you and I was praying for you and I meant to shoot off a card in the mail, but I, I didn't get to, but I just want to let you know you're loved and I hope you're doing well. And that still meant so she, she texted me back and said, that means so much. And I did think of her and I did pray for her, but I didn't get to, to kind of put those um, prayers into action and do something tangible. You don't have to always do that. I don't want, ever want people to read this book and think, oh, great, another thing to do. That's not what it's about. It's learning to live alert, to be on the lookout for those heart drops, and to pray, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And maybe you're not supposed to do anything, but pray. But maybe for somebody else in your life, you are supposed to do something because no one else is going to remember that day. So it's not a guilt-inducing one more thing to do. It's just learning. It's really about deepening your walk with the Lord and learning to, to live alert, to listen to Him, and to know when he, you know, we have our agenda, we have our to-do list. I'm a big to-do list person. And there are sometimes I feel like God comes with a big red Sharpie and he crosses it all off and says, you know what, that was your plan. Yeah, your plan A, but I have a, a better plan A. You might think is plan B, but it's really plan A. So get rid of your plan A. The time to finish that will come sometime right now. You need to, you know, whether it's hold that sick baby who who has the flu and, um, you know, needs to be rocked all day and you can't get to anything you wanted to do. And it's the same, you know, with, with learning to, to live alert and listen. Sometimes I, you know, really think the most important thing on my, my list is to clean out my junk drawer and my front closet and to go get groceries. Cause we need to have something to make for dinner that night. And guess what? A knock comes on my door and it's my lonely neighbor who's a widow and just needs someone to talk to them. So, you know what? The closet can wait. The junk drawer can wait. We can order pizza tonight. I feel like the Lord's saying, uh, hello, <laughs> sorry about your checklist. This is what I want you to do. And, and often interruptions come of the people sort. And those are the most important interruptions sometimes in our day. Not always. Sometimes, you know, we need to say, oh, I'll have to get back with you. But, you know, if it's somebody that's really, really in dire need, sometimes our tasks can wait. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are task oriented and, and who may listen and feel like, okay, well, I need to do this and I need to do that. Just like you were saying. And I I would love for you to give us a little bit of vision. Can you tell us some stories that have impacted you of when you have chosen to listen to a heart drop, chosen to do something and how the other person was impacted? Yeah, I'll tell you one that, that happened to me. And then one that I did for someone else. Um, the one that, well, I'll I'll flip flop that or the one that I did for someone else was, 
I have a friend, we went to the same church at the, at this time. And we also had boys that were in baseball together. So we spent a lot of time together. And one time I was at her house and we were working on a project for church or, or something. I can't even remember. And we got talking about our sons. I have a son with special needs who has dyslexia. She has a son that had a different special need. And we were just talking about, you know, the struggle as moms and what we were doing and as far as solutions. And then she just, just really in a passing way said, yeah, I struggled with reading. I don't know if I had dyslexia. I was never diagnosed, but I struggled with reading and I hated it. I hated class because everyone could read the whole book and I'm sitting there going, I don't get these words. And I had to go down to a lower group and I just never liked it. And I said, Oh really? I, d- I didn't know that about you. And and then her face kind of perked up and she said, but there was this one book and she kind of excited talking about this one book, an old book from the early 1900s that was at her grandma's house that she could read from cover to cover. It was called Mary Jane and the Secret of the Indian Beads, I think. And she could read it from cover to cover. And she loved going to her grandma's house because it was the only book she knew all the words to. Well, I went home and I wrote down the title and I knew that her birthday was coming up in a couple months. So I went on eBay and I won a copy of it and I gave it to her on her birthday. You know, usually we don't always exchange gifts on her birthday. And if I do give her something, it's like a, you know, $5 card to the coffee house or something very, you know, but this one was a little more, you know, intentional and it had, took a little more time. And so when I gave it to her, she just like, how did you know? She didn't even remember the conversation taking place. Didn't even know. And she just was so excited to be holding a copy of that book in her hands that had meant so much to her in her childhood because it was the one place she felt success. I love I bet that book is in a treasured spot. I'm sure it is. I'm sure. Although she has a dog that chews things. So let's hope. <laughs> She's probably, it's, in, it's in a dog proof case yeah. somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the one that happened to me, I don't talk about it in the book, but I do talk about it in the Bible study curriculum there. There's videos in the Bible study that goes with it. And it's when my husband heard a heart drop, we were newly married, youth pastor and wife working with the teens a lot. And one of the girls was having a slumber party and a bunch of the girls at youth group were talking about it. And they said, Hey, Karen, tell us about what slumber parties were like way back in the eighties, you know, thinking I'm so old. <laughs> and I just said, Oh, I, I never had a slumber party. Um, in fact, I never even had friends spend the night while well, my husband knew that I grew up in, as I said earlier, a home with a single mom who worked really hard just to put food on the table. We didn't have fancy things in our house. Like a lot of my friends did, and we were just really busy. And, um, my mom just never allowed me to have friends spend the night or have a slumber party. Just, we probably didn't have enough money to feed them. It's probably what it is. And looking back, she never made it, me feel that way, but there was some reason I was just always told no. Well, my husband tucked that away in his, in his, uh, head. And for my 30th birthday, we were supposed to be going out to dinner. He and I, and our, our one child we had at the time. And instead there was pounding on my front door and three of my friends dressed in bathrobes and funny slippers. <laughs> one of them had her long hair rolled up in orange juice cans. They kidnapped me, which was hilarious because they got stopped for speeding on the way to my house, <laughs> which I would have loved to see. The, the, the officer just said, I, I can't even. And he said, <laughs> right. ladies, and you let him get back. But he took, they took me to my church. There were 30 friends waiting for my 30th birthday, including a 90-some-year-old woman who was all dressed in her Sunday best but had, had oh. a honker. She called it a honker, uh, like one of those noisemakers. And she said, I've never blown a honker before. <laughs> and they did this slumber party. They did a skit about my life. They did a cheer. I was a cheerleading coach at the time. And um, the woman that was actually the head coach, and I was the assistant, she got together with some of the ladies beforehand, and they did this cheer. Now, that was a very elaborate thing, but it all touched me so much that my husband 
listen when I said, well, I never had a slumber party. And he threw me one. Now, that's a pretty elaborate thing. It doesn't have to be like that. I have had so many people be touched just from a text message or a handwritten mm-hmm. note just remembering. So I want people to think, well, that's exhausting. But that's, that's my biggest and best example of something that was done for me. That your husband must have gotten serious, serious bonus points for. Oh. Well, and the way he, he is, he does things like that, like every five years and the rest of the time, not, not much, but that's okay. Well, he can always be like, remember the slumber party? <laughs> he does, exactly. His love language is the acts of service. He's constantly doing little things to help lighten my load, which I would much rather have than flowers. There's occasional flowers if they're on sale because we're both kind of cheap. <laughs> it's funny. When we were first married, I wanted the flowers from the fancy store. Don't you dare get them on clearance at the grocery store. And now that we have three kids in college, I'm the opposite. I'm like, you better not have paid full price for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big flowers or jewelry person either, which I'm sure my husband greatly appreciates. I would much rather have acts of kindness or, mm-hmm. you know, or technology, you know, like a gift yeah. certificate to the tech store. Um, there you go. <laughs> okay. So what about the people in our lives that maybe even God is prompting us to listen for heart, heart drops for, but they really are difficult people. Um, people that we know we should love. You know, this could be a mother-in-law. It's not mine. If you're listening, it's not mine. Absolutely adore my mother-in-law. It could be, you know, a coworker. Um, it could even be a spouse. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. do we, what, what do we do in those situations? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I talk about uh, how to hug a porcupine and squeeze a skunk and a, a porcupine's a person that just doesn't want your love. They're kind of cold. They're not mean. They're just kind of cold, but skunks, squeezing skunks. Yeah. They're kind of mean. And if you were honest, you, they kind of stink. You wish they weren't in their life, your life. However, when I read cat, the one another's in scripture, you know, love one another, defer to one another, show honor to one another, you know, all of these one another's in scripture, I I've looked, but I can't find it. There is no footnote in my Bible that says, well, except for people you you don't really get along with or that you don't like. It never says that. In fact, we're supposed to show extra love and respect and honor to our enemies. So I, you know, we've had grumpy old men in our neighborhood who don't want the kids walking out their yard. And as much as I want to go, he's a grumpy old man. You know, when I bake banana bread at Christmas, he's not getting one. Instead, I kind of feel like the Lord taps me on the heart and says, no, he needs like a big one. You're giving these mini ones, you give him a big one and you go over there, even though you know he's probably going to slam the door in your face, which he has done. You still love, you still love. It's it's easy to love those who are easy to love, but it's altogether a different story to to be like Jesus and to love your enemies and to, you know, do things without spe- expecting anything in return. Not that we do these things to expect something in return, but when we are looking out for the interests and trying to show love to those difficult to love people, they're probably never going to do anything in return. And in fact, they might reject our love, but it doesn't mean we don't do it. We do it to honor God. We don't do it to get a particular response. Oh, that's so good. I love the quote that you have in the beginning of your book from C.S. Lewis. It says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor, act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. I love that. Very Um, true. So good. And it it is true. It is true. uh, A lot of times whenever my kids are nervous and need to do like a presentation at school, my big quote to them is just fake it till you make it. Pretend like you love doing the presentation and Mm -hmm. just get up there and fake it till you make it. And pretty soon you're going to just fall into a group and realize that you do. And while that sounds sort of terrible to pertain to relationships, 
Um, and, and by faking it, I don't, don't fake that you like them, but do the right. acts um, that show love. And presently, I think God softens our heart and, and reveals um, aspects of those people to us that, that cause us to love them. So You're exactly right, because I think we think naturally that our actions follow our feelings. Oh, I love that person. I'll do something. But sometimes our feelings follow our mm-hmm. actions. And we, especially prayer, I mean, maybe you've experienced it. It's really hard to be mad at or dislike someone you're praying for consistently. You know, it is. is. And so sometimes I don't want to pray for that person because I don't want to like them. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm, when I'm faithful to do it, it, you're right. God does soften your heart and gives you, he helps you to see them from, from his perspective. I have a particular in-law outlaw relative who has been so difficult for me to love for 30 years. And about, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, I felt like God said, you're, you're using the wrong eyes. You're looking at her from your eyes and how she's treating you. You need to look at her from my eyes. And so I would just pray, God, give me your eyes, give me your eyes. And I, in the next probably two or three years, I got a glimpse because of certain things she said and other relatives um, said about her background and how she was treated when she came into the, the family. And Maybe in some way she was treating me that way to get revenge on the other person. It was really complicated and strange. But as I really tried to see her from God's eyes, I started to feel sorry for her and want to do things with her, want to be around her. Whereas before, I was like, I ain't going there. No way. Somebody else. <laughs> you know. But I can honestly say, no, I love this person and I love spending time with them. They still treat me different. Or they still treat me bad sometimes. But I, I kind of just imagine they can't help themselves. They just can't help themselves. I'm going to just keep loving them. And the treatment has gotten better and the bad treatment has gotten mm-hmm. less frequent, but it's still sometimes there. It's still sometimes there. But the the change for me all took place when I started to pray that prayer. Help me to see her through your eyes. Something's mm-hmm. going on. There's a reason she acts like this. And we just take that step of faith that God is calling us to reach out to these people or to love these people and trust that he can take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what about the, the young mom listening who is in kind of like that turtle season of life when you're just, you know, you're hunkered down, you're just trying to get enough sleep, you're just trying to take care, keep your kids alive and figure this whole motherhood thing out. But they still they, they want to be other centered and they want to um, have a heart for others and remember things. What are some small things that moms in that season of life can do? Well, first of all, I think they need to not feel guilty if they're not doing things outside their family. They need to be listening and loving on their own family, you know, it, it, listening to what their kids are saying and, and their spouse is saying. And so, you know, that's the most important thing. And if that's all you have time for, that is okay. But if they do want to really try to do this for people outside of their family, I say take your kids on an adventure, you know, and make it a family thing. You can um, you can learn to just naturally fold other people into your family, make more room at the table, invite people over for dinner, and ask them to stay and have your kids help, you know, have them help set the table or whatever. I like to make um, a point, and I've done this since my kids were growing up, to notice other people in public. I learned from my mother-in-law, she's great about noticing uh, servicemen and women. And no matter where they're at, she stops what she's doing and goes up and tells them thank you. So I never did that growing up, but I adopted that habit when I married into the family. And my kids were embarrassed about it at first. And now guess what? We can be walking through an airport and my kids are, look, look, there's one over there. And they want want to go over there. So, you know, noticing uh, noticing people in public to do acts of kindness, whether it's opening a door for a woman who's struggling, an elderly woman who's struggling when juggling her groceries and getting into her car, you know, just do those little things where your kids are going to catch a glimpse. You've maybe heard that 
phrase, I wish I knew who originally said it, but more is caught than is taught. And Mm. I think it's true. And also it's something we've done when our kids were younger, we would scatter kindness in secret. We would sit them down like on uh, a Sunday night and say, okay, who's something we can do something for in secret this week? And uh, what can we do? And sometimes their ideas were kind of silly, but we did them anyway. (laughs) You know, and the first um, one, we wasn't in secret, but um, we talked to our kids about what I talk about in the book as necessary people, those people who help us get life done. They're necessary to us. Like they bring our mail, they bag our groceries, they teach us at school. And we did a little fun thing for our mailman. We called it Mr. Brown Day. It's too long of a story, but um, they kind of caught the glimpse for, oh, wow, we threw this party on our porch for our mailman one day. Mm. And they were an infant on my hip, a toddler and a, a kindergartner when we did that. And they still, now the infant doesn't, the other two remember because we talked about it for so many years as they were growing up. We had the same mailman for a long time too, but just doing really simple things with, with your kids, take them along for the ride. Maybe they'll catch a glimpse for living an other centered life too. I love it. You know, I remember one time I was at the grocery store and there was another mom with a bunch of kids that were just wailing and and a lot of the other shoppers were kind of glaring at her. And I just walked by and gave her a fist bump. And I was like, you've got this. And it was it was a very tiny thing, but she lifted her head up higher. She cracked up, too. And it just kind of changed the tenor of it. And all it was was that one thing. And so we can do these really small things. But what I love about just the whole idea in general is that you're really creating these significant moments for people instead of wasting time on doing a bunch of little Mm -hmm. things that are often self-centered, you know, Mm -hmm. like taking another picture of my lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can be intentional, think of other people. And I'm not just making a moment for myself, but these are highlights for other people. These are things that are going to impact them, maybe their relationship with the Lord, maybe their own self-worth. And you're really making decisions and choices and choosing actions that are significant for people and that are going to be remembered and that are really powerful. So I love Love this. Love the whole like, whole idea, whole concept. Yeah, and we can use technology. I mean, I like to ask myself this question. Mm-hmm. When I have anything in my life, um, is this a tool, a toy, or a tangent? And so when it comes to technology, it can be a great tool. for, Like you said, you hop on social media trying to be other-centered and encourage people. That's great. It can be a toy. Play around with a toy. That's fine. But where we get tripped up is when it's a tangent. And it takes a lot of our time. And it just kind of kind of sucks the life out of our day because... We're spending so much time touching screens and not enough time actually touching lives. And not that you can't touch a life through a screen. I'm not saying that. But, you know, I told my husband the other day, I wish there were an app, there probably is, that would just add up how much time you spend on Facebook, Twitter, all these things at the end of the day and show it to you. Mm -hmm. Just show it. How much time you spent. Now, not that you shouldn't be on all those things. I have all those things and I enjoy them as tools and sometimes as toys. And yes, sometimes they morph into a tangent. I'm talking to myself here. But (laughs) it would be very interesting, I think, to just see that and go, really? Like, really? I was on Facebook for 55 minutes today? I felt like I was on it for 10. You know, maybe we set a timer and we only get on it for 10. And hey, there's 45 minutes. What can I do for somebody? Or split it. What can I do uh, for somebody It'll take me 20, 25 minutes and the rest of the 20, 25 minutes, I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> Do mm-hmm. something for yourself, you know? So um, I just, I, I think it's all perspective and, you know, not being legalistic about it, but right. really using those things as tools and not letting them morph into a tangent. Mm-hmm. And, and really how, how deeply am I diving in those? Am I just liking a bunch of pictures or am I going in, on somebody's wall and saying an encouraging word, mm-hmm. saying, hey, I've been praying for you and just being intentional about diving deep and considering other people? Um mm-hmm. Karen, where can people find you online? Where can they find your book? 
They can find me at my website, KarenEman.com, and Eman is spelled E-H and then man, M-A-N, so E-H, man. Also at Proverbs31.org, that's the ministry I write and speak for, and um, either one of those places will have um, this book, and um, I love to connect with people on, online, whether it's you know Instagram, all the, you know Facebook, Twitter, I've got all of those on my website that um, they can connect with me there. Wonderful. Karen, you've absolutely inspired me to go and look for something fun to do for others, to listen to heart drops for people. And I'm really excited about creating moments for other people and teaching my kids to do the same thing. So thank you for sharing your heart in the book and with us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kat. It was my pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you would take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble king. And in this place, my heart begins to sing. It's gonna be a good day, a good day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercies. May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in.